Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. I am your host, Dr. Darren Pepperd, and it's Masters Week. That's right. It is the Masters this week. Folks, if you're a golf fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nothing like the first weekend in April at Augusta National Golf Course in Augusta, Georgia, one of the premier golf tournaments in the world. It's my favorite. To me, it's honestly the first sign of spring and not because the azaleas are in bloom and the grass is green. Honestly, I'm going to back it up a little bit. I'm going to go back to like Super Bowl weekend. That's when we start to see those first commercials for the masters, you know, coming in April and you hear that just amazingly soft, relaxing music that comes along with the masters ads and folks, it gets me so excited for springtime. Now, part of that is because I live in a colder part of the country, and for most of my life, I have done so, which, you know, I'm rooting for the snow to melt finally and for the sunshine to come out and have an opportunity to go out, spend some time in the yard, maybe take top off the Jeep, those kinds of things. But I really look forward to Masters Weekend. I think it's one of the greatest spectacles in sport. You may think different, and that's okay. If you're not a golf fan, I promise you this episode is not loaded with golf analogies. I just really felt like this was a great topic for this particular week. And by talking about the Masters, I don't want to talk about the golfers. Although, after as I'm recording this, Tiger Woods just shot a first round 71. So he's one under par. Incredible for, for that guy. What a, what a great comeback. But I digress. The Masters I want to talk about are the master leaders in our life those leaders who just do amazing things. And no matter where we are in our career, we always look back on the opportunities we had to work with them and learn from them. Today, I want to talk about three of them, three people who, in my opinion, moved from good leaders to great leaders to master leaders. And I'm going to tell you about two things each of them did extremely well and how I tried to emulate those throughout the course of my career. Before we do that, Let's talk about professional development and leadership. We've all sat in those professional development events that really weren't for leaders and thought, how is this supposed to make me a better leader? I want to be the best leader I can be for my staff. And yes, I have to be in this room and I have to learn what it is that we're expecting of our teachers or what we're asking them to implement in their classroom. It's very fair. But for leaders, professional development should be about leadership. And that's why I've created high-performance leadership teams. It's a two-day intensive workshop that takes your leadership team on a deep dive into their work with a spotlight on a common mission, on leveraging each other for powerful student learning outcomes, elevating other leaders, building strong and positive culture and climate, and having a laser-focused vision on the future of the organization. During this two days, we're going to dig deep into what the core values are of each individual so that we all know what it is we're all bringing to the table, what's important to each of us, and how do we find that common ground. 
we're going to dig into what it is that each person brings as a strength and what are maybe some of their limitations and how can we learn to leverage each other's strengths to not only complete work, but to make it amazing, to truly lead from a great place. After a two-day workshop of high-performance leadership teams, your team is going to have a shared aspiration. They're going to have clear goals. They're going to have action steps. They're going to know how to align their behaviors to their goals. And they're going to hold each other collectively accountable because they are going to invest the time. Folks, it's a fully customized workshop. I want to work with you and your team. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. Go to roadtoawesome.net. Check it out. Email me at Darren M. Peppard at roadtoawesome.net. All of this information is in the show uh, in the show notes. Let's have a conversation. It's time for leadership professional development to actually be about leadership. That's why we're here. We cultivate leaders by lifting voices and promoting positivity. And we want to help you get your leadership team to be a high performance leadership team. Now let's talk about the masters. And again, we're going to move away from the golf tournament. If you were hoping I'd talk about more golf, maybe I'll share a little something with you in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about three master leaders that I had the opportunity to be around and got to work with. The first, my first principal. I've talked about her a lot. She's, I wrote about her in my book. Um, to me, the true master. Her name is Betsy. And the thing about working with Betsy, I learned so much from her. But I will tell you, I got to actually observe her in three different roles. First and foremost, she was my principal for uh, for five years. But then she ended up moving into superintendent role. She moved into the district. When the two districts combined, she became the assistant superintendent. I saw her in a lot of different roles and got to see her lead in a lot of different ways. And the two things that really stand out and what made her a master leader was first and foremost, visibility and presence. Her visibility and her presence were unmatched. It always seemed that when I needed her the most, somehow she was there. It wasn't like she was following me around. It wasn't like she was lurking in the shadows, but it always seemed like she had incredible timing that when I needed her, she was there for me. Sometimes it was to help me with a situation in my classroom. Sometimes it was to help give me some guidance and some direction but somehow she was just always there. And she had an incredible presence about her as a leader. You know, you've all been around those leaders that when they're in the room, they just command the room. It doesn't matter what they're doing, they command the room. And that was something about her that I've always admired and always appreciated because there were times where we had some pretty tough members on the staff that didn't necessarily want um, to yield the floor as an example, or just wanted to hear themselves talk, or maybe just wanted to be difficult for the sake of being difficult. But she handled it always with grace and with professionalism. And it was pretty clear, you know, the room was hers when she was talking, but she did it so professionally. So certainly her visibility and presence was something that I I just truly, truly appreciated from her. And the second thing, and this is something I think we all need to do as leaders, is dig a little bit deeper with every person that you're around. Somehow, Betsy was able to identify more in every individual. 
You know, I think about times as a principal when I was evaluating teachers and I would reflect on the conversations that I would have with Betsy about my own teaching in the classroom. Or, I mean, she's the first one who challenged me to be a leader. She saw that in me. She said, hey, it's in there. I know you have the ability to be a leader. I want to see it come out. So when we were having conversations like that, it really, it, it really impacted me. So again, as I was in classrooms watching other teachers teach, I wanted to do everything I could to dig a little bit deeper and find something that I could challenge them with. Whether they were a brand new teacher or a veteran teacher, I wanted to do everything I could to get the very best out of each and every one of them. Was I always successful? No, I don't think so. I think there were times where maybe I could have been a little bit better at it, but I really wanted to try and emulate that from her. I thought that was an incredibly important skill, being able to see what's beneath the surface. And the master leaders really do that. They're going to dig in, they're going to look at not only what's there, but what might this person potentially have in front of them. You see, as leaders, what we don't want to do is hold our people back. And I remember many, many times when we would have somebody who would move on from our school when I was a teacher, when I was a super, uh, principal, superintendent, all of that. And somebody would move on and, and take another role. Inevitably, there were those who might get a little bit upset and think, why are they leaving us? I never wanted to lose good people, but I always felt like if we have good people and we do our job growing them, they should want to leave. They should want to go on and take the next challenge. Hopefully they stay in the community and the challenge they take on is right there in the community. So we're not losing them from, from the area. But ideally, we want to see people continue to grow and get better. That's really what leadership is all about. And, and so those are the two things from, from Betsy that I really felt like I took away was, again, her presence in the room, her visibility was just, she was always there. I don't know how she did it. One of these days I'm going to ask her about it, but somehow she was always there. And then the second thing, again, was dig below the surface, all right? Don't take everything at face value. Always look at not only where the person is now, but where do you think they can potentially go? That's what the Masters is all about. How do you, as a veteran leader, challenge other folks around you to lift them up, to grow them, to help them get better? It's one of the three tenets of Road to Awesome. We rise by lifting others. And all three of the masters I'm going to talk about today did exactly that. And I've already shared Betsy with you. Next, I want to share somebody named Mike. Mike was the assistant superintendent in the district when I was hired as an assistant principal. And I got to work with Mike, I believe, for about six years. And aside from just being a true, true friend, a genuinely great person, Mike had this incredible ability the guy was a human policy manual. Anytime we would call Mike with a question, and, and as the assistant superintendent, he oversaw the day-to-day -day operations of our district. So if we had a situation and we needed to know a little bit more about policy, I mean, obviously we would go to the policy manual, but we'd also call Mike. And immediately, he not only knew which policy it was, but could quote it line and verse. I'm not telling you you need to memorize your policy manual. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is 
the master leaders have something that they can bring to the table that will always be an incredibly valuable resource. And in Mike, it wasn't just that he knew the policy manual inside and out. More importantly, he knew how you applied policy. Not just simply, oh, that's what policy says, that's what you do. But you need to understand how you apply policy to human beings. Not to just black and white on paper. How do you apply that to human beings? How do you do it in a way where you're very understanding, where you're empathetic, where you care, where you demonstrate genuine desire to help somebody grow and get better? It's not about catching them doing it wrong. It's not about punishing them, but it's about applying how your policy is written to a situation, making sure that it's fair, it's done in an equitable fashion, but also that it's done with the grace of a human being. I truly love that about him. It was not always, hey, this is what the policy says and the outcome is this. Now just do it. But let's talk this through. Share with me a little more about this situation and tell me how you think this policy really applies to this. Is there a possibility that there may be another policy that could connect to this? You probably didn't expect when I said it was master's week that we would talk about policy, but my point with sharing this about Mike was he had such incredible institutional knowledge. Yeah, he knew the policy manual inside out, but he also knew of so many situations where something similar may have occurred and how the policy was applied at that time. You see, master golfers, in, in watching Tiger Woods play today, folks, I'm telling you, there were so many times as a veteran player where he was intentional in where he where he placed his shots. He wasn't always being aggressive and always going for the green on everything. He played with a young kid today that's half his age. And while that kid played really well, he took some unnecessary risks. Tiger played it a little bit more patient, a little bit more knowledgeable because he has the institutional knowledge of that course more than anybody else who's out there playing it. He's seen it before. He's done it before. And he's able to pass on that knowledge through example, through conversation. It's the same thing with Mike. Yes, he knew the policy manual. That was great. And it was honestly, it was kind of funny to call him and say, okay, hey, here's what we have. He would say, okay, that's policy, fill in the blank, and then go right to uh, verse and, and, and paragraph, just like I said, and we could actually open the manual and, and read it right off with, without him even having it open. But what we learned from him is to learn from situations and to file them away and to keep them because they're huge. They make a huge difference for us. Um, the other thing about him, and it kind of ties into this same deal, but I've never been around someone who was more calm in every situation. You, you've, you've all been there, right? Where you have something that comes up, you know, you have um, a, a serious situation, you know, you have to evacuate your school or you have to go into a lockdown because, you know, law enforcement calls and says, put your school in lockdown and you have no other information. That'll get your blood pressure up. That'll get your pulse moving. And that'll get you thinking really, really fast. What I learned from Mike is in those situations, that's when you need to be the most calm. The true master leaders in those types of situations 
will be the calm at the center of the storm. Because let's be honest, if the leader freaks out, everybody freaks out. If the leader stays calm, it makes it a lot easier for others to do the same thing. So in some of our most tense situations, I would look to Mike and I would just see this sense of calm about him, this sense of relaxation, the sense of it's going to be okay. We've got the situation under control. We know what we're doing. It was so valuable to have somebody like him around me the first six years that I was uh, in a leadership role, because those are things that I really tried hard to emulate the rest of my career. I think it's just so important that we're mindful about our our behavior, the, the aura, the presence that we give off in those tense situations. Well, let's be honest, you've been through a whole bunch of tense situations in the last couple of years. Were you able to stay calm? Did, did you get your dander up a little bit? Did your blood pressure jump? I had a couple situations, honestly, easily could have put my blood pressure through the roof, could have got my pulse racing. But because of the experiences of being around someone like Mike, I was able to really remain calm, take a couple deep breaths and know that if I stay calm, I'll stay in control of the situation. The final leader that I want to talk about, the final master leader that I want to talk about is a guy named Randy, but we all called him Doc. Randy was the principal who hired me to be an assistant principal the very first time. Randy had this uncanny ability to just build social capital. I've never been around anyone who could just build social capital. It was like everybody in the community knew who he was, even if he'd never met them. They all knew who he was, had a larger than life personality. And he was just that magnetic type of guy that drew people in. And he did an incredible job of listening to them, of valuing them, of knowing them by name. He knew more people by name than anybody I'd ever met. It was honestly something I tried to emulate. I wanted to get to know every single one of our students because Doc knew him, you know, and, and if he didn't, he would ask before we got to the student, hey, help me out. What's the student's name? Because he knew the value of calling them by name. It's the same thing with adults. You know, when we had those situations where maybe a parent misbehaved at a basketball game or something like that, because Randy had built so much social capital, it was easy for him to handle those situations in a very caring, very kind, but very stern way of, hey, we don't do that here. And because it was Randy telling you, you agreed. Very rarely did he get pushback on that. You know, he, he was one of those guys, folks, I, I got to tell you this, and maybe you've been around this person. He's the only one I've ever seen do this. We could have a serious, serious conversation in his office. And he could be very stern, very direct, and essentially telling somebody exactly why they're wrong, what needs to change, and giving them a deadline to make it happen. And yet, when the conversation ended, they walked out of there like he was their best friend, patting him on the shoulder, saying, Doc, thank you so much for the conversation. He just had an incredible way about doing that. I paid very close attention to everything he did because honestly, how can you not want to emulate that? Nobody wants to have tough conversations, but when you have tough conversations, if you've built the social capital like Doc did, it makes it a whole lot easier to be able to do that and still maintain that professional relationship. 
I'm telling you, the guy was a master. It was incredible. Let me share the second thing that, that I want to share about him. He was all about trust. As a leadership team, there were three others on the leadership team. Doc, of course, is the principal and then three assistant principals. He trusted us to do our job. He expected us to do our job. But it was never negative if we didn't get the job accomplished. Rather, it was a coaching moment. It was an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to have conversation and talk about, okay, here's here's where I need to see this go. And then he'd go and give us another opportunity. You know, now, now, now go and fix it. You know, he wasn't going to step in and clean up our messes unless it was a really big mess. And I didn't see that happen very often. Mercifully, I never made that big of a mess that he had to come in and clean up. The other thing was he always referred to our roles, our entire team as a sandbox and that the sandbox was his, but we each had our own portion of the sandbox. And you've probably heard job descriptions described as silos or, or their role or what, whatever. I mean, I'm sure there's a dozen different ones that could, that could come up, but I love the sandbox analogy because in a sandbox, certainly you can draw lines and say, okay, the person in charge of discipline, discipline and attendance, this is your sandbox. And the person who's in charge of curriculum and instruction, this is your sandbox. And the person in charge of um, activities and facilities and that kind of stuff, this is your sandbox. But those lines sometimes are going to get blurred. And that's true in real life leadership situations. You don't just stay in your silo. You don't just do your one thing and that's it and walk away. You know, if, if you're an administrator in the front hallway and you're in charge of curriculum and there's a disciplinary situation, you don't walk away and say, sorry, that's not my job. No, you blur the sandbox lines and you go and you take care of it. But the key that Randy always told us was you can step in each other's sandboxes. You just don't leave a mess. And if you do, you better clean it up. You don't rely on others to clean up your own mess. Always be willing to clean your own mess. You have to do that. I also love too that Randy referred to the entire school as the sandbox and that that was his sandbox. Our sandboxes were merely inside of his sandboxes. So even if he stepped into our sandbox, he was still within his own territory. I'm telling you folks, thinking about master leaders, number one, it gets me fired up. Number two, it just makes me reflect on so many incredible learning opportunities that occurred during my leadership career. And obviously my leadership career still continues. No, I'm not leading in a building. I'm leading from a different place, but we all can learn from these master leaders. Now, these are three that were in my life. I know you have master leaders in your life. Take a step back this week, maybe jot it down. Come up with one, maybe two true master leaders. What is it that they did that you find yourself emulating? That you find yourself trying to do as well? What is it about them that makes them stand out from the other leaders that makes them a true master? I mean, let's be honest. The most veteran players know how to stay out of those difficult situations. And if they get into them, they know how to find their way out without too much damage taking place. There you go. A little golf analogy for you. The same thing is true for master leaders. They know how to sidestep the landmines. And if they do happen to get a little bit dirty or they happen to step in something that's not so good, they know how to make their way out of it without too much damage taking place because they paid attention, because they understand 
they've learned from not only their own mistakes and their own triumphs, but the mistakes and triumphs of others. And they pay attention to the masters. That's what it's all about, folks. It's Masters Week. Find the masters in your life and make sure you dig in to what it is that they're doing that makes them such a master. And then, just like we do in education for everything else, beg, borrow, and steal. Start copying what they do. Start emulating that. Find a way to incorporate it into your game. Maybe, just maybe, that's going to make a difference for you in your leadership. And now, it's time for a pep talk. I want to stay on this exact same line, but I want to really focus now on when you know who those masters are, when you identify those folks, I want to challenge you to reach out and just say thank you. Have a conversation with at least one of them and just tell them, hey, when you did this, I learned so much from you. You know, when I talk to Betsy, Betsy, your ability to dig deep, to see what was under the surface, to me was the most powerful thing you ever did. You know, you saw something in me that, that honestly changed my life, changed my career. And she did it to so many other people. So I'm definitely going to tell her thank you. When I talk with Mike, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to say, you know, Mike, it wasn't just that you knew the policy manual inside and out. It was that you knew how you apply something as concrete as policy to something as, as delicate as the human being. How do you do it in a fair, equitable, and decent way? That's something I learned from him that I'll never, ever forget. Something I always tried to make sure I applied. And finally, when I talk to Randy, Randy is going to be, man, social capital. The more you invest, the more when it comes time to make a little withdrawal, you can afford it because you've put in the time, you've put in the effort, and you've put in the emotion and the love into all those people so that they're willing to understand, willing to forgive, willing to forget when it's time for you to make a withdrawal. That's the Leaning Into Leadership podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. This was a fun conversation. Love Masters Week. I hope it turns out the way I want to see it turn out on Sunday. But for now, I'm Dr. Darren Pepperd. Thank you so much for joining me on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Have a road to awesome week, folks. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.